My name is Joshua Daubert. I'm Joshua Kaswani. And I'm Hunter Reynolds. And you are listening to The Savior Said So. I want to thank you all so much for joining in and listening today, wherever you are. Thank you so much. I want you to know that if you, uh, if you want to learn more about Jesus, you are in the perfect place right now. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are in your walk with Christ, or if you just want to learn more about Jesus, I want you to know that you are in the best spot you can possibly be. We're going to talk about Jesus. That is who our main focus is. Um, so happy that you all are, uh, that you are here. So, so far, what we have been focusing on is uh, parables. Uh, this is These parables, it's what Jesus used uh, in his teaching. Um, so yeah, we're going to keep diving into this, uh, into this series of parables. And yeah, today we are going to be going over the parable of the three servants. Um, if you have a hard time finding that, it's in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. And if the translation of your Bible has a different title. That's perfectly fine because this has a lot of titles. Uh, but mine has the parable of the three servants. And uh, yeah, we're going to jump in. Hunter, Josh, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. Doing well. Awesome. All right. So uh, let's dive in. So we're, as I said, we're going to be in Matthew 25. And we are going to be starting at verse 14. So I will read verses 14 to 20. Josh Kiswani, would you mind reading 21 to 25? I would love to. And Hunter, would you mind reading 26 to 30? Sure. Awesome. So I'll be starting at verse uh, 14, and I am reading out of the NIV version. So Matthew 25, 14 says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one... He gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. All right, I'll be reading out of NIV in verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you didn't, where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your taunt in the ground. Here, have what is yours. I'll be reading from the NASB, starting in verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave! You knew that I reap where I do not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. 
Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throughout the worthless slave into the other, outer darkness. In that place he shall be where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Awesome. So that is uh, that is the parable for today. And uh, the first point that we're always going to hit, that we're going to jump into now, is the context. Uh, what is the context of this? But before we even get there, uh, let's dive into something I mentioned not too long ago. The names of this parable. There's a couple of names. And for me personally right now, so I have the NLT vers- version. And I'm I've, what I just read out of was NIV. The NLT version says the parable of the three servants. But then in NIV, it says the parable of the bags of gold. Uh, So obviously, two different names. Uh, Josh Kiswani, what what does your title say? Yeah, in ESV, it says parable of the talents. And uh, Hunter, what's yours say? NASB also says parable of the talents. Yeah, so uh, based off of like that, we have three different names for this parable um so we all know like since this parable is the same thing in each of these uh even though they have different names we know that they can correlate with one another so the parable of the what i find interesting is the parable of the bags of gold and the parable of the talents they both are like they both incorporate money but when you look at the parable of the three servants, it's talking about people. And I that's something that I find really interesting. So that now that we have that settled, keep that in mind. It has these different names. And maybe uh, your uh, the version you have also has a different name. So now we're going to go back. And as I said, we're going to be looking into the context of this parable. And as we dive into the context of this parable, one thing that we need to ask ourselves, and anytime you're reading in Scripture, is who is the audience when you try to look at the audience for this it's kind of it's kind of hard because it doesn't say right in the beginning what you see right in the beginning is red lettering that also adds some context we see that who the speaker is it's this is jesus who is speaking um but it seems like he's just speaking the entire time. We don't see anything else other than him talking. So it's hard to see exactly who it is he's talking to. When you go back, this goes back all the way to the beginning of chapter 24 in Matthew. And in chapter 24, we see who the audience is and we see what the question is that Jesus is answering, what exactly it is he's responding to. So I'm going to quickly read over Matthew 24, verse 3. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so now we know the setting. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. So with that, we see that his audience is the disciples. And I think what that word privately, it means that like that is his only audience. You know, sometimes when Jesus was speaking, he was not only speaking to his disciples, but also huge crowds of people. And I, I think right here, it's talking about just his disciples he is speaking to. And after that, in uh, the middle of verse 23, the disciples say, Tell us, they said, when will this happen? 
and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So that is what Jesus is responding to. The disciples want to know, when will this happen? And what exactly are they talking about? When Jesus is going to return, what are the signs going to be of his next coming? What are the signs going to be of the end of the age? So in order to understand the context, we have to understand his whole response because we have a little bit to get to in order to get to the parable that we're talking about. So when you dive in the pretty much the biggest chunk of Matthew 24, what we see are the signs. Jesus, and I can't get into it now, and I highly suggest reading Matthew 24 in your own time, but we see the warning signs that Jesus presents to us of what the warning signs are going to be of the end of the age that is to come in the future. And he goes on, he's explaining it. And then we see at the, uh, my Bible and NIV, it has a split at verse 36 and it's talking about the day and hour that is unknown. So now we seeing from here on out, from there to the rest of the chapter and, uh, chapter 24, it's talking about when Jesus returns, that it, it is going to be unknown. And we see uh, a reference back to Noah, uh, how everybody but Noah and his family who were on that boat, who were on the ark, um, nobody else knew anything about the flood that was going to come. Um, and when the flood did come, it hit them so unexpected. And that is what, uh, that's what Jesus is using as a reference and trying to explain how the day and the hour of his return is going, it, it, it's going to be unknown. The hour is unknown. And then he's still answering the same question back in the beginning of uh, Matthew 24. And now we're in the beginning of Matthew 25. And as obviously something that helps so much is uh, the red lettering. We see that he is still talking. And now we see Matthew 25 and it is the parable of the 10 virgins or the, uh, Ten bridesmaids. Um, Hunter, would you mind kind of like just summing up what Jesus is saying? And it's uh, Matthew 25, 1 to 13 in this parable. For sure. Um, I think using the words bridesmaids definitely applies the most to our current cultural context. Um, and so what happened was um, there were ten bridesmaids um, and they were all going to um, go to this wedding. Um, and... Uh, only some of them uh, put oil in their lamps and the others only put a small amount. They did not refill it. And so they went out and the ones who had oils in their lamps were able to wait and be prepared for the one who was going to come pick them up, the groomsmen. But the ones who did not have oil had to leave. And they were not prepared. And because of that... Um, uh, it ends with uh, Christ saying, um, you don't know the time. Um, truly, 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 I say to you, you do not know. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. He is urging us in this passage and in the next to be prepared for his coming and his returning and to um, be ready. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the main idea of that parable as we... Uh... If you were to dive in, obviously that's another parable, um, on your own time, I was just reading and that's, uh, chapter 25 as we were in that's verses one to 13. And finally, that brings us to the parable that we just read. Um, whatever title you have 
but we're going to go by the parable of the three servants. Um, we finally get here, verses 14 to 30. And so throughout all the verses that we just went through, we see that Jesus is still responding to that same question. And I think, I don't know about you guys, I think Jesus would be perfect for like an interview because you ask him one question, he's going to respond within three chapters worth. Um, my point is saying he, he is a long answer and he, uh, he doesn't hold anything back. And like he tries, Jesus literally tries his best to make it known to us. Like he doesn't hide anything from us. He is trying to make sure we know exactly what it is he is saying so that when he is done answering, we don't have any other questions to ask him. He answered our question in complete fullness. So he is still answering this question, which leads us to the parable of the three servants. And now we are going to try to uh, break this parable down. So as I said, I'm going to be reading out of NIV and starting at verse 14. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold to another uh, two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So with verses 14, 15, we're presented with some background information and the characters of the parable. There are four characters in the uh, in this parable. Don't be confused with how it says the parable of the three servants. There are three servants, but there is also a master uh, in this story, in this parable. And we did... I want to do something right now that was very similar to the last uh, to the last podcast. If you listened in, it was the parable of the unforgiving servant. Um, once again, and this is something that you're not going to hear often in a Bible study, but let's focus on the money. Um, <laughs> yes, there's money that's being involved, and we need to understand what the value is and see what the context is of the value that is used. And so, NLT. When I dive into NLT, it says that the first servant was given five bags of silver. The second servant got two bags of silver and the last servant got one bag of silver. NIV says the first servant got five bags of gold and then the next got two bags of gold and then the last got one bag of gold. So uh, now I want to ask uh, Josh and Hunter, uh, what the... What do your translations say as far as like, what what is the value of this money that is mentioned in verses 14 and 15? So in one of the footnotes um, from ESV, it says that a talent, like just one talent was worth 20 years wages for a laborer. And I know that there are some different um, definitions floating around for this word talent. But according to ESV, 20 years late wages, that, that's a lot of money. Would you mind uh, doing me a favor? Could you read verse 15 for me off your translation? Yeah. So to one, um, talking about the master, to one he gave a servant five talents, to another two talents, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Yeah. So uh, just to clarify, um, so how I have NL, uh, NLT talking about bags of silver, NIV talking about bags of gold, and now we have uh, Josh explaining how he uh talking about the amount of talents and hunter i'm gonna assume does yours also say talents as well mine does say talents and it refers to talents as six with four zeros after it is one talent so six with four zeros after it and american dollars 
That's a lot of dollars. It's a lot of dollars. Paying for a school bill right there. But six with four zeros after it is one talent, and someone got five of them things. So, um, two of the sources that I want to look into as we go throughout this parable is one, the Bible knowledge commentary, which I love, and also the Faith Life Study Bible. And that's actually the one I'm going to jump into now. Um, and it goes into a little bit of an explanation of, uh, five talents and like what this is equal to. And it says that it says in the faith life study Bible, the Greek text indicates the amount, this amount is equal to 75 years wages. <coughs> so as we were uh, mentioning before in the last podcast, uh, we're talking big money. We're talking a big dollar sign right there. Um, so when we focus on the value that, and the amount of money that this master is entrusting his servants with, it's a lot. And like, that's all we need to focus on. And we need to focus on how the first servant got five. The second servant got two. The last servant got one. So then continuing on in this parable in verse 16, it says the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So we see in verses 16 and 17, uh, these first two servants, they did the same exact thing. So when you see the word, so also starting in verse 17, what that's referring to is what the first servant just did is exactly what the second servant is also going to do. Um, and they both duplicated the amount of money that they were originally given. And then starting at verse 18, the first word in this verse, as I mentioned in the last podcast, it is one of the biggest words in the entire Bible. And the word is but. The, it sounds funny. However, what I am saying is that this is such a huge transition word. When you see it, this is a huge transition word. And you need to realize that whatever the passages you are reading, there's going to be a shift in whatever is being discussed. So we see that the first servant... Uh, duplicated his money. The second servant duplicated his money. And then when we see in 18, the word, but we're going to say, okay, the third servant did something different now. And as it says in verse 18, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So immediately, you know, I think to myself when I read that, I don't know about you guys. Um, when I read that, like he didn't do anything wrong. Like when I saw the word, but I was fully expecting this third servant to go out and to spend the master's money and like, just use it. But he actually doesn't like he's keep he's still keeping the money safe that he was, uh, that he was given. So that's a little bit weird, but you know, let's, re let's just remember that as the parable goes on, maybe we'll get an explanation to what the purpose of this is. And of course we will towards the end. Then it says in uh, verse 19, after a long time, master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So that was verses 19 through 21. And what we see in verse 19, the master comes back now. The master is back. He's going to, when it means, when he says he's going to come and settle his accounts, he's going to come back and he's going to get his money back. 
You know, he wants to see where where it is, what happened. He's coming to get it back. He's coming to see what happened to his money while he was gone, while he was gone, and the money that he entrusted his three servants with. And he comes back, and obviously the first servant is the first one to come, and he gives these five. He has the five bags of gold that he was given, but also behind his back, he has five more bags. And he was like, Lord, like this is all yours, master. This is yours. See, you gave me five, and I got five more. And the master, he's happy. And I, something else that I think is super important to recognize in the Bible is exclamation points. Because, well, like, I want to ask you guys, um, what is the purpose in, like, today? Like, if we have to write a paper or if we're just texting a friend, why do we use an exclamation point? It's got that enthusiasm behind it, you know? Like, you use an exclamation point, people are going to, like, either reread what you just said just to, like, fully grasp how important it is that you're saying or like if you made a very profound statement people are going to see that exclamation point they're going to be like yeah exactly i mean if you see someone say oh yeah that's so exciting or oh that's so exciting it's two very exactly. different things and yeah. and exclamation points really puts that emphasis on it yeah um and as you like as you just demonstrated it's a it's a change in tone when you see this and when we read verse 21 there's two exclamation points he says, like, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, like, he's happy about this. Like, when you see an exclamation point, it's it's supposed to be an attention getter. And as uh, Josh Kaswani said, it's for enthusiasm. And as Hunter demonstrated, it's a change in tone. Like, this master, he is happy. And it says, you've been faithful with a few things. Now I'll put you in charge of many things. And it says, come and share your master's happiness. With that, there is another exclamation point. We see that the master is filled with joy because of how the first servant acted. And then we see, verse 22, says the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. If you... Put those two sections together and compare them, there's not many words that you're going to find a difference in. That it is almost the same exact thing that is mentioned with the first servant. And the master has the same exact response as he did to the first servant, to the second servant. He is responding with this same joy, with the same happiness. He is happy. He is uh, overflowing with joy. And we see, as I mentioned before, these same exclamation points. And then in verse 24, we see the word then. So as I said, the first two were very similar. It mentions in verse 20, the man who had received five bags. So we see the first servant. And then it says the man who with two bags. But then verse 24 says, then the man who had received one bag. So we see like there's already a difference within this statement. So we know something else is going to happen. We know based off of the beginning, the third servant didn't do the same thing the first two servants did. So verse 24 says, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here it is what belongs to you. And after I'm done reading that, I, it's hard to see like in today's society, 
what exactly is wrong with that statement. Like, if you just ignore the first two servants and what ha- what they did, if you just look at that last servant, it doesn't look like he did anything wrong. You would think that a wrongful act would be to spend the money, to lose the money, to allow the money to be stolen by someone else. The amount of money that he was given is the same amount of money that he is returning to his master. As I said, he was afraid and he didn't want to lose it and he hid it in the ground and he's presenting to him at the end and it says, here's what belongs to you. And he's giving it back and it seems like everything's fine. Um, And you'll find out that everything is not fine after you read verse 26 and 27. And the master is giving his response now to this third man, to the third servant. It says in verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Keep in mind, there's an exclamation point there. So he's really emphasizing that fact. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, we see that the master this time is not overflowing with joy. Uh, In all honesty, it's quite the opposite. Um, So now we need to focus on like why exactly he's reacting this way and what exactly it is he means when he says this. and I want to ask uh, you, uh, Josh Kaswani, uh, what, uh, what's the master saying here? You know, I just wanted to point out that in verse 19, it says, uh, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So the master wasn't gone for like a week or a month. He was probably gone for well over a year. And while two of his servants were um, being... Um, efficient and taking care of their master's money well this third servant was being lazy with that money and was just keeping it to himself in the ground Um, it's also interesting that all three of these servants are pretty similar to slaves at that time like um, their master um, effectively owned uh, his servants and it's important to realize that not only did the master own the money but he owned the servants because what this servant did, uh, what this third servant did, in being lazy, he completely disobeyed um, his master's character. He p- completely went against um, what what his master wanted. And that's not a good thing against somebody who owns you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's important to realize that everything that this servant did completely went against his master. Yeah, um... So we see, obviously, with that master, he is not pleased whatsoever. And we see what happened with that third servant. Um, he's just, he, we, we were asking ourselves a question in the beginning. What did he do wrong? Um, and we see the master, uh, we see what his expectations were. His expectations were to get what he received initially. It was in, actually to receive more. Well, and really what just infuriates the master is, not just that he didn't produce more, but that the master's character is to produce more. And in this example, God is our master and we are the servant. And because of that, um, when the servant is not keeping with the master's character and he goes against it, that's what he's mad at. 
He's not mad that he didn't make more money. He is not mad that it stayed the same. He is mad that the servant did not follow the master's character. And um, that's something that I think is uh, good to point out. Yeah, um, we see the... We see what the actions were of this third servant and how they compare uh, to the first two servants. And it provides us now with an answer as to why, uh, why the master was frustrated. And we're also provi- provided with a- another view of what was going through this third servant's head uh, in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. So it, men- it has pretty good feedback that it has to say about the third servant. So this is what the Bible Knowledge Commentary says. It says, the third servant having received the one talent, reasoned that his master might not be coming back at all. If he did return someday, the servant could simply return the talent to his master without suffering loss from any poor investment. But if he failed to return, the servant wanted to be able to keep the talent for himself. He did not want to deposit the talent in a bank where it could be recorded that the talent belonged to the master. His reasoning indicated he lacked faith in his master, he proved to be a worthless servant. As a result, he lost what he had and was cast into judgment. And uh, as far as the judgment goes, we'll see that at the end of this verse. And we can just see with uh, with this money that the third servant was produced, and what, what, what he was given, uh, there was nothing that he pr- produced from it. Um, and he it was more so just of like a selfish act. He kept it to himself and decided he didn't have to do anything else with it. And then when the time came, he tried to justify his actions, even though there were no actions. He didn't do anything with it. Um, and obviously, we see what the master's uh, reaction to this is. So then going back uh, to this parable, finish it off real quick. Verse 28 says, So take the bag of gold and this, keep in mind, this is the master who is speaking. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken away from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For those of you who do not know what he is referring to as darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would someone be able to, in one word, sum up what that is referencing? Hell. Yes, exactly. That That is what that reference is. And uh, while we're on these references, we could also, um, if we wouldn't mind, let's look at what everything in this parable is referencing. So, uh, who is the, I want to ask you guys, and either one of you can answer, uh, who is the master? Who is the master referencing? Uh, the master would be God, uh, God the Father specifically. Yeah. And then, um, and then we have three servants. Um, who are the three servants? And do they, is there any like distinction between them? Like, are they all like the same person or is there a difference between who they are? Um... <laughs> I, I would say that uh, the, the servants are believers specifically yeah. um, who uh, who God has given abilities and not just abilities but situations um, and moments and literally anything in a believer's life mm. um, 
and the first two acted on it, and the last one did not. Yeah, and when we're talking about actions, uh, the last reference that is in this, so we talked about the master, the servants, and at the very end, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, there's another, there's another uh, part of this, another aspect, and that's the money uh, that they are provided with, that they are supposed to act upon. Uh, what could the uh, money be referencing? As Hunter already said, it could be referencing to just different situations that God presents to us during this life and um, different opportunities that it gives us, which we have a decision to make to either go in line with God's character or to do our own thing and just hide away what God has given us. Yeah, and I agree with you. So obviously, like, that's what the beautiful thing is about these parables is that it's an extended metaphor. It is just a huge compare. Like, there's so many comparisons within the parable that Jesus is using and uh as we just did we're able to correlate what each of these comparisons are what they mean and now that we kind of have an idea of what this parable is and just to emphasis and i want to go back to beginning of matthew 24 that parable that we just went through that was still jesus answering the question of disciples when they said when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Jesus is still responding here with this parable after a lot more happened before the parable. And then we see after that, he still has more. Like, as I said, Jesus has a very long response to this. But for now, we're just focusing on this parable with the three servants. So now that we kind of dug into the context, I want to ask you guys how, uh, now that we understand what Jesus is saying, what everything is referencing, and kind of the context behind it. Um, what is the application? So how how is it and what can we do to apply this into our own life? What does this parable mean to us uh, as Christians? Okay, so it's interesting that Jesus talks about this specific topic a lot. He talks about it in John 15 with the vines and the branches. Um, Jesus is like the master vine and us as Christians are the branches. And unless we abide in Jesus, then we can bear fruit as branches. But if we don't abide in Jesus, if we don't follow his character, we'll just die off and be pretty useless. Not only that, in Hebrews 6, it talks about um, just it refers to us as Christians as land. So land that drinks in the rain, that falls on it, and produces fruit, has the um, blessing of God. But land that doesn't do that receives the curse of God, and in the end, it will be burned. And it, it's, it's a sort of challenge, because if, as Christians, we should be in line with God's character, but if we hide away the opportunities and the situations that God has given us, there, there's not much good that can come from that. Like, if we're not constantly bearing fruit, we're not doing much at all as Christians. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I agree with you. And something else that I think is, uh, that I want to jump into, it's mentioned in the uh, Faith Life Study Bible. And it, it's a reference back to verse 29 in this parable. And it says how... Uh, it mentions in verse 29, to everyone who has, 
more will be given. And the Faith Life Study Bible says, Faithfulness results in blessing and reward. The inverse of this statement is also true. So I believe, like, as far as application goes, um, this whole question, the, the whole question, the purpose of, like, what the disciples are asking is the sign of Jesus' return for the second time and the, the signs of the end of the age. So he is answering this question, and I think, like, this parable is also showing us what it is and what our job is as we wait for that coming. Like, we are... Just like the servants were waiting for their master to return. And at no point in the parable was there any mention of the master telling the servants when he was going to come back. There was no mention of that. In the very same way, Jesus, like we don't know when Jesus is going to return. And because of that, we have a job to do and we have to be fully expecting him. Because if he returns right now, we're going to be asked, what, what did you do with the gifts? What did you do with the abilities and the opportunities you had? And you can really even take that back to chapter 24. Um, the disciples started by asking, um, what will be the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus begins by saying, um, see to it that no one misleads you. He says, watch out for false prophets. And here's, here's the signs. He goes through the signs. And then he basically says, well, now you know the signs. You might as well know how to act. Um, so he gives the parable of the fig tree. Um, which I think Hiswani pretty nearly mentioned um, there. Um, and, and then he goes into just be ready for his coming. He's be prepared. And after just saying be prepared, he gives the parable of the ten virgins, uh, the ten bridesmaids, and then he gives this parable. So he says be prepared in, um, in your action. Bring prepared in what you bring. Be prepared in knowing that I am coming back. And then he says, while you're here, do this. While you're here, take advantage of what I have given you. Take advantage of these moments. Take advantage of what you have. It's also important to understand that what the, the, the third servant's claim about the master was that, oh, the master is a hard man and that the master is unfair in everything that he does. But the master is representing God in this story. And if you know anything about God, he is perfectly fair, perfectly just, and perfectly faithful. So the the servant being faithless goes against God's faithfulness. Um, and let's just take a second to define what being faithful means. Yeah, faithful. Oh, okay. the, when we try to look at what faithful is, it's something that we are called to do and it's something that uh, it characterizes who God is and... That's how we are. That's how we are to remain um, in this. And as you just said, it's important to uh, to define what exactly this means. Um, when we looked up faithful uh, on Google, <laughs> and in uh, just basically looked through a couple definitions, um, it came up with the most common words being loyal, trustworthy, um, and and those are two things that um, God is. And they just define faithful, um, I think, to a T. Uh, yeah. Being faithful is being loyal and trustworthy. And we can easily see this in back in Hebrews 6, where the author of Hebrews states that um, for people, just regular people, swear by something greater than themselves when they're making a promise. 
so that the oath is of final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, so Christians, when he wanted to convince Christians the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. So first he promised, and then he made an oath, that, so that it is impossible for him to lie. We Christians, who have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty awesome for our master who owns us. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about how not only has God created us, but he also has bought us with a price. Therefore, we should be honoring God with our bodies. Now, in that situation, it's talking about sexual immorality, but it's very clear to say that in every situation, we should be honoring God with everything that we do, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10. Yeah, we are we're image bearers of God. That's how he, we were created. And at the end of the day, we need to ask ourselves, did I live my day reflecting Jesus and his character? And just as we look at him, and obviously we know we can't measure up to his perfection because we are sinners. Um, but at the same time, we need to, str- we need to strive. There's, we can't be perfect, but there's nothing wrong with trying to strive for perfection because as we, we already know, and we acknowledge the fact that we're not perfect, but that's all a part of trying to commit yourself to living a changed life and remaining faithful. And as we're kind of like on that subject, I want to ask you guys, um, when we look at this parable and it may be harder for specifically with what's being discussed here. How is it that we can incorporate this parable to the gospel and the spreading of the gospel? Um, To me, when I look at it, uh, you can even go back to the beginning. But again, um, this is definitely meant specifically for believers. This this passage is how do believers act when um, when we know that Christ is coming back. But when we look at just the concept of Christ is coming back, um, this is the gospel. Christ is coming back. He died. He sacrificed himself. He rose again and he left. But he's going to return. Um, We're currently in Advent season. And when people were looking for the Advent of Christ, the very first one, where God was going to come down and be with us, um, that was the very first, the very first time Christ was coming. But the second time, he's coming and he's going to be glorious. He's coming and... And he's going to rule the world. He's, he's going to set up his kingdom. He's, he's going to reign. But only for those that uh, believe in him and trust in him and put their faith in him alone. Not in themselves. Uh, not in any acts they can do. Not through money. Not through cars. Not through belief in a different God. Um, you get one chance and you have to put your faith all in Christ. It's worth noting that um, God hasn't left us to our own devices as we're making our way through this life. Uh, he's given us his Holy Spirit to live in us and work through us and guide us along this path. So just remember that we are never alone in this life. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but we have each other to bounce off of um, and make it through this life. Yeah, of course. And uh, to kind of bounce off what you were saying, Hunter, as far as this parable being directed to believers, I think that's something that helps you and backs up your argument in that is when we look at the audience, 
of this parable and who Jesus is speaking to. As I mentioned before, it says the disciples came up to him privately. Jesus was not explaining this parable to huge crowds of people in which there would be unbelievers in the crowd who didn't know Jesus. He is talking to the disciples who literally spent their days with Jesus, who was walking here on earth. They were with him physically. That is who the audience is. That is who Jesus is speaking to right here. And I think that speaks uh, uh, so much into what this parable is referring to and how, you know, while we are here on this earth, we have a job to do. We have a specific job that we have to do. We have a mission. And I want you to know that uh, just as the three of us here, we have a job. You also have a job. Whoever you are, whoever is listening to this, God created all of us with a specific purpose, with specific gifts uh, and as we are all awaiting for his return, we we have a job, we have a mission while we are here as we await for his return. And you may be wondering, like, whether if you are a believer on or an unbeliever, as we acknowledged, Jesus is going to return. So in preparation of that, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you never accepted Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you don't know him and you want to live this life for him and fully expecting and waiting for his return and knowing that you won't have to be in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth as that third servant was. If you want to go to the same place as those first two servants that are mentioned in this parable, you can accept Jesus into your life by repenting of your sins, which means to committing, committing to live a changed life. You're, you're not going to stop sinning. But you're going to make a commitment to try your best to follow Jesus and you believe that uh, he died for you and that he rose again. And if you just pray that and you ask Jesus to save you, I promise you it'll be the best decision that you ever make. And uh, that kind of wraps up the, this entire parable and this entire message. And as always, such a powerful message, such a powerful parable because it's the Savior said so. You know, this is it's coming from uh, it's coming from from his mouth um so with that being said uh hunter would you mind closing us closing us out in prayer for sure uh, thank you lord for sending your son to down the cross just thank you for this day thank you that we got to have this conversation and i pray that anyone who's listening um will just be able to hear you um uh, through this uh, please work through us um even even after we're done making this uh and work through the people listening. Help us to be able to go out and and warn people and bless people through the knowledge of your coming and your existence. Um, and help us to live in a way that, um, that focuses on you. Uh, live in a way that is consistent with your character and that uh, is, is in a way knowing that you're coming back. Um, just please help us all to have just a great rest of our days. Um, and uh, just thank you for being an amazing and awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, thank you all for uh, taking the time to listen to this um, and sacrificing all this time to listen. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you were encouraged by it. And most importantly, I hope you found the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in your own life. Tune in next time for The Savior Said So.